This is The Politics of Everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast. So while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. Welcome to episode 23 of the politics of everything. Today I'm with real estate expert Lauren Gowdy. In Australia, our obsession with real estate is almost like a national sport. Wouldn't you love a secret weapon in the market? Well, in this episode, I'm delving into this very idea with Lauren, a licensed real estate agent who started her career a decade ago as a selling agent in Melbourne, the house auction capital of the world. Moving to Sydney in 2011, Lauren worked in sales initially before finding her true calling as a real estate buyer's agent. Today, Lauren educates and empowers her clients to make smart property decisions and secure quality real estate in the ultra-competitive Sydney market. Today, she shares with us her personal views and expertise when it comes to the politics of real estate. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks, Amber. So first of all, what does a buyer's agent actually do? A buyer's agent represents a buyer's interest in the market and in negotiations. So just like a vendor or a seller has had professional representation for the past 150 years, we now act to level that playing field so that buyers also have access to professional representation and it started in Sydney around 20 years ago. Rose and Jones was actually one of the pioneers of the industry. Oh, very lucky. So I was going to say like five years ago, I'd never heard of a buyer's agent until I tried to actually buy my Mm. first property and then I suddenly realised they're all the people that are not cracking a sweat at the auction. They're the ones that are level-headed. So you've definitely um, found a niche in the market for sure. So thinking a bit about Australia in general, real estate seems to be such a big deal. As I mentioned, it's a bit of a national sport um, and, you know, you go to an auction on a Saturday and you might see hundreds of people literally, the same people going from auction to auction or competing for a small pool of property. Why is it such a big deal in Australia? Why do we love real estate so much? Well, real estate is one of the bedrocks of the Australian economy. It's worth $4.5 trillion per year, which is three times the size of the stock market. It's also um, the fact that 70% of Australians have their money, their fortunes, tied up in the real estate industry. So yes, it's a huge part of Australian culture. The great Australian dream is no longer the quarter acre block, but now as we mature as a country and and grow towards more global cities, there's a movement of people going to apartment style living or choosing to rent or other more modern trends of real estate investment. Absolutely. No, you definitely see that. The corridors of Sydney and Melbourne are now full of apartments and not so much the quarter acre block. So in your experience, why do cities like Sydney or Melbourne or even Brisbane seem to have this never-ending increase? I know that, you know, for Sydney, for example, the average house price is now over a million dollars and in some cases it's jumped 20% a year every year for the past few years really. So 
Why? Why do we? Why are these places, you know, so expensive? It's supply and demand. That's the simple answer. And certainly in central Sydney, there's greater demand than supply. And it's not just about putting up more p- apartments necessarily, because people want a certain quality of property, and they're prepared to wait and and find that. With regard to the twenty percent increases that you may have seen in some areas in the past twelve months, that's not something that we Will continue every year. However, um, if you look at historical evidence of more established global cities, like say London, for example, their properties have shown historically they double every ten to twelve years. So, so that's likely to be what happens in Sydney. It's it's a it's a global yeah trend. So our property market, obviously, you're not an expert necessarily in the global property market, but you know big cities like Singapore or New York or London, as you mentioned, you know they seem to have very expensive properties as well. Where does Sydney sit in that mix, and why? Why Sydney, opposite end of the world, hard to get to from other global cities, but our prices are high. Yes, well, I'm not an international real estate expert um, or commentator, as you say. Um, However, um, Sydney does rank among the highest as far as unaffordability goes. Um, Hong Kong is still at the top and we're closely trailed by Vancouver. They are all financial hubs, global financial hubs, and you only have to look at the geography of, of particularly those three at the top, Hong Kong, Sydney and Vancouver, to work out that geography comes into it quite a bit um as far as as far as singapore and london they're somewhere down the list but once again they are global um economic hubs so what do people love about sydney what is it well ultimately to answer that question you only have to look around you or otherwise remember what you did on the weekend and and that is the reason why sydney is so desirable to so many people so what are some of the common real estate mistakes that would-be buyers make? And as a buyer's agent, how, how do you guide them through that process so they try not to make those mistakes? Without having a crystal ball, obviously, to know everything the market will do, what are some of the things that you see people do regularly that you think, oh, wish I was there to hold their hand, I wish I'd, that engaged me? Uh, it's following trends or trying to outsmart themselves, you know, trying to pick the bottom of the market, things like that. Um, so... In, in the past 12 months to 18 months, I've seen people who have sold their properties hoping to then pick the bottom of the market and then get a great value purchase and make money very quickly. That's a, that's a scary thing to try and pick. Um, and, and generally, I, I say to people, if something seems too good to be true, it normally is too good to be true. So... Um, yeah, be very be very thoughtful about what you do and think very deeply. Plan for the future. Don't just plan to make money quickly. Make property a long term goal and and make sure it's tied into what your you know objectives are for ten years time or five years time rather than just right now. And are there any examples that come to mind when you think about um, any little example, tangible takeaway for the listeners around, you know, maybe a, a common property error that people might make who haven't had the expertise that you bring to the table? Uh, well, going to auction can be scary for some people, um, particularly if you don't know how to manage a really good auctioneer or how to... Um, how to manage your competition um, and engage engage with them as well. Um, so yes, I've seen people who 
for example, they, they didn't engage with me. They sort of started talking and decided, no, they wanted to do it on their own for a little bit and test test how they go. So uh, they went to auction for a property which was quoted at around, I think, 700. Um, knowing that block fairly well in that location, I anticipated it would probably sell in the 800s. Um, there was also a recent sale of a renovated property in that block that sold for around 880. So I was fairly you had a good benchmark. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, um, they went to an auction. It was a highly competitive market because that sub one million is generally a lot of first home buyers as well as investors. It's a very broad buying pool. Um, so highly competitive auction and lo and behold they ended up paying well over 900 for this unrenovated property in this block and at auction right at auction they they were really happy because they apparently won the auction but when they told me the price it made my eyes water just a little bit so not that you can say that to someone once they've made you know that decision it's a huge as mistake long as, in some ways for some people well, but I guess long term they're going to hang on to it that's maybe what it'll... I said to them I said look you're going to hang on to it just don't think about it it's you, what else can you say absolutely or oh, that's yeah. very interesting and so with a buying strategy what do you do with clients just give us a little example obviously you help people at auction what else would you do to help people in that process I guess people can cherry pick what they like some people get you to do everything for them some people yeah. just get you to come in and maybe scope some properties out how, how do you really operate well well, sometimes, so there are clients that I do conduct the whole search for them and it is a comprehensive service. Um, so that gives them access to off-market opportunities and that um, that side of the market, which um, to be honest, our, uh, our transactions in recent times, um, let's say in four months we did around $100 million worth of transactions and 70% of that was off-market. So if you don't have professional representation, you are actually missing out on a huge portion of the market. Perhaps 40 to 50% is all that you're seeing online um, in some cases and that depends on price brackets as well. Um, but, yes, yeah, so to answer that question, um, there's there's that level of service, the full comprehensive service, which gives you access to the off-markets. There's also evaluation and negotiations where I just help clients when they bring a property to me and it's the pointy end of the business, that the strategic planning, the calculations and all of that side of things that they need assistance with. And then there's also, um, there's also people that simply want help at auction. So that's another another level um, of service that we can offer and that gives them that edge when it comes to um, the secret annoying. weapon I, yeah, I talk absolutely. about. Absolutely. So um, we got you work with different types of property buyers and some are obviously investors and some are owner occupiers. Is there a difference in how they how you might advise them and how emotional they are in the process? Because buying property is an emotional transaction. It's not sort of just like going to buy a widget. It's a high end purchase, yeah. and there's a lot at stake. Um, whether you are an investor or an occupier, is there a difference in the way they come to you, what they need, and how you would service them? Um, so, as far as making recommendations, I always tell 
an owner occupier or an investor that they they both that they need to consider both sides of of the um, of the equation because you need to appeal to the broader market should they ever decide to sell or um, should they be looking for tenants you need to have broader market appeal and the top performing properties are the types of properties that do that do have investment and owner occupier um, appeal so um, investors can still be just as emotional as home occupiers because it's still their hard-earned cash and it's also still their personal achievement it's, it's their investment so it does have that level of of emotion still attached to it in any case I always tell people to put emotions aside and to be strategic about their approach Absolutely. Can you do that when you come to buy your own property, though? I am curious. Like when you when you bought your own place, were you were you able to do that? Or I guess it's completely different. You're no longer a buyer's agent. You're you. Yeah. No, I, I can. I do have the ability to to put my emotions aside because my focus is always on the end goal. So um, that's probably why I do what I can do, what what I do because um, emotions and personal preferences and personalities and that sort of thing is something I can just put to the side and and be very focused on whatever our end goal is whether that be saving money or or, or buying property at a certain price or, or buying a certain type of property that's whatever the long-term goal, you know, and how that fits in. Makes sense. Um, so thinking about housing affordability, do you think the government, um, whether it be the state or the federal government, have a role to play? Um, most of us wouldn't want, wouldn't want to see our price, house prices go down. A lot of us, um, I, I put myself in that pool as a property investor and an occupier. It's a bit of an, a long-term retirement plan to actually maybe at some point sell and have some have some money. Um, but, you know, housing affordability is one of the biggest issues that's facing a big city like Sydney and also in Melbourne as well. How can governments really help support making a city not become unaffordable? Because if it becomes unaffordable, we're, not gonna, we're only going to have a bunch of investors here and perhaps no interesting people like you or I. So what could governments do? Well, I 100% believe that the government has a huge role to play in housing afford- affordability because they have an enormous vested interest in the property market. Um, it's a major source of revenue for them. So they will probably do what they can to protect it. Um, What I think will happen is our um, tenancy or investment rate will increase to more that of a global city, which um, if you look at places like like New York and and London, um, it's generally around 35% and slowly Sydney is moving closer to that figure. I think we're just over 30% now. So investment um, investment and owner-occupier sort of um, ratios will change and adjust, but that's just a sign of a maturing global city. So we may see more people choosing this, um, this term you may have heard of called rent vesters, so people who decide to um, rent a property that they they love and rent it in an area that they enjoy living um, whilst they purchase a property that they can afford. Um, this, this may also happen where people rent an apartment in the city and then they buy a beach house or a country house so they have a summer home. Doesn't and sound so bad, does yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, and their city home. You, you see people doing that in, in, like I said, Paris or New York. They, they have that that's normal. So we may just move to a more a more globalised sort of um, global city, international city 
type of trend like that? Well, I think it's definitely heading in that direction for sure. Mm. Look, I'm a big believer that no one's got to where they are on their own. Um, so do you have any inspirational figures or mentors that have guided you in your career and, and in your in your life, if you like, and what have they taught you? Yes, absolutely. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the best real estate agents in the country. So um, tenacity is is definitely a quality that they all show. Um, and and also one thing that that some of them have have taught me is um, is just always remembering their humble beginnings. So um, do the same today as what you did when you started. Treat people with the same level of respect and care, no matter what their background or their story or how successful or you might be or they might be. Um, the other the other place that I source that I get a lot of um, of inspiration from is actually my clients on a daily basis. So I have the privilege of sharing these moments with them in these significant transitional moments in their lives. And sometimes that's not always planned. Sometimes it can be an emotional journey. So the courage that they show is a great source of, of inspiration and also it's it's a very rewarding experience for me. Um, but keeping that really strong connection between your heart and your head is always essential. Absolutely. And I think like you, we've touched on, you know, buying property is, is emotional for people and you guess you get the privilege of helping people in what's probably one of the biggest decisions financially they will ever make. So you get to be in that driver's seat with them, mm. which must be awesome. It is. So if we could just wrap up, um, can you maybe share top three tips for the listeners on how to get ahead in the politics of real estate? It is it is a minefield out there. Um, other people might be listening outside Sydney and Melbourne, but I guess that the same principles apply no matter what. And what, what would you share for them to take away today? Um, number one, I would say emotions out and professional representation in. So real estate mistakes are generally quite expensive mistakes to make and engaging a buyer's agent is far more cost effective. So that's my number one. Um, number two. Shameless plug. <laughs> number two, don't follow the pack. Do your own thing and think very deeply about what you're doing and the reasons you're doing it. Um, also, uh, it leads me into number three, which is follow your intuition. Or if you don't like that word, follow your gut. Go with your gut instinct. Absolutely. Well, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on The Politics of Everything. If you'd like to connect further with Lauren Gowdy from Rosen Jones, um, her details will be on our show notes. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. Until next time, keep well. It's always an absolute pleasure to get so much encouraging feedback from listeners of the politics of everything. We're 23 episodes in and that is a lot of guests who've given us their time and a lot of people, thousands of people in fact, who've downloaded the podcast so far. If you do want to continue to receive lots of um, free advice and the insights we have, I really encourage you to get others to subscribe to the weekly show, either through iTunes or other platforms that I offer the program on. And do leave us a review. We love a review. Um, you know, give us some stars. Let us know what you like and what we're doing really well so we can do more of it for you. I always really appreciate everyone who listens because I know there's so much choice out there so let us know what you're loving and what you're not and we'll do our best to make it better for you as always take care thanks for listening today if you've enjoyed the politics of everything we thrive on feedback so please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family 
I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespoke comms. That's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U. And we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.